Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. I'm Michelle Beck. I'm a two-time 10-year survivor of breast cancer. I'm the program's assistant at Breast Friends of Oregon. And when I have time, I write at a blog. And you can find me on social media at I Never Liked Pink. But as we all know, life is busy, so I'm not there very often. But I wanted to, I'm so excited today to introduce my guest. I've actually been a fellow podcast guest with her in October on the Rock Your Midlife podcast with Dr. Ellen Albertson. And I had such a great time. And I had actually followed... Um, her company, my guest today is Liz Bendit. She's the CEO and president of The Balm Box. And I had already been following her on Instagram for quite a while. They do curated gifts for cancer patients and also provide some self-care topics and blogs and self-care items for when you're going through treatment. Because it's really hard when people are like, oh, gosh, what do you need when you're going through cancer treatment? You know, do you want me to make you casseroles and this and that? And what can I buy you? And I'm like, go to the bomb box because (laughs) that is where everything is. So Liz is a four-time cancer survivor in eight years. So just let that sink in for a minute. Four-time cancer survivor. And then she decides that, you know, she's going to take her 25 years of being a marketing executive and found this amazing company because it was needed. So she created the bomb box after all of this and her cancer journeys, and we're going to talk about all that. But in addition to this, Liz also teaches undergraduate courses in marketing at the University of Kansas School of Business. She's a public school and community advocate serving on leadership boards for the National Charity League for Greater Kansas City and the Mainstream Coalition. And as you may have guessed, she lives in the Kansas City area with her husband, Two teenage kids, and this is my favorite part, one terrible dog. Um, I I can add to that because I have two terrible dogs. No, actually, they're wonderful, but they're a lot. So, Liz, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. And, you know, I will tell you, it's afternoon here in Kansas, which is generally the Amazon truck delivery hour, which means the dog might interrupt. (laughs) That's okay. I, yeah, I have to go upstairs in my separate room and close the door. And that literally, as soon as I open the door and they're like, but anyway, so Liz, but we'll get into all the cancer stuff, but what do you do now? So obviously you are a senior marketing executive for the majority of your career and now you run the bomb box. So tell us what your, what do you, what does your day look like? Uh, It depends on the day. So, uh, Two days a week, I um, I mostly work out of Lawrence, Kansas. That is, it's about an hour away from Kansas City Metro. It's where University of Kansas is, where I teach undergrad students um, a variety of different marketing classes, and I love it. Um, it's super fun. It keeps me on my toes. The the smart, witty students ask the best questions. You know, I just it definitely, um, and I love you know chatting with um, my peers, especially those that are doing really interesting research just in the general field. So it keeps me keeps me sharp. Um, and then the other five days a week, I'm in Kansas, so um, I work um, at the bomb box and doing kind of a I'm the jack of all trades, right? So I do a little bit of everything in terms of overseeing everything from marketing campaigns to fulfillment, operations, partnerships, all that good stuff. Um, and then in my very, very limited spare time, right, 
Uh, I, my daughter is, um, a, a, a competitive athlete. She is, she participates in, um, club volleyball here in Kansas and we're just gearing up for the club season. So, um, I will start spending lots and lots of time away traveling with her, watching her play lots and lots and lots of volleyball. And I super love it. I, I actually think it's great. That is a full-time um, yeah, job. And it is. I we always have hopes for our children, and it's funny to see where they end up. I always thought I was going to be a sports mom, and my son is actually into music. And so his thing is drums and piano and guitar. And so I take him back and forth to music lessons and concerts and things like that. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Which is great because I'm not sitting outside in the cold Portland rainy weather watching sports. Oh, I know. <laughs> I have friends who, so many kids play soccer and I'm really grateful neither of my kids play soccer because um, those are some really early cold mornings. At least what? volleyball. My, my son plays tennis, which is also mostly indoor, although this past summer he played a lot of outdoor tournaments in the Kansas heat and that was not fun that would be no uh, fun and they're twins right is that correct they're not they oh, look okay. it they certainly look it um in fact fun fact um my daughter hates this but my son can open my daughter's iphone with his face <laughs> <gasps> and they're not tw- that's amazing not i love that but she can't open his it's very weird i don't understand <laughs> i'm gonna need like an apple engineer to explain that one to me well, before we dig in, I have to do my my pop culture moment because I'm a huge Supernatural fan, and that's based in Lawrence, Texas, or Lawrence, Kansas. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. Okay, now I'm gonna have to watch it. That that was their home base, so it, it's sorry. That's just I'm I'm a li- I'm 50 years old, and I I love this show. But Lawrence, anyway. no, Lawrence, Kansas is darling. It's this really cute downtown area, and there's some great little restaurants and shops and stuff, and bookstores. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fun visit. Good. Well, hopefully I can get out there and I'll do all these supernatural sites and we can have coffee. Um, (laughs) So let's dig into your cancer stories, because unfortunately you have so many. So busy living your life. you got your career, you got your family, and then you were diagnosed with your first cancer. So what was that experience like? The first cancer was just such a shock. And I have to keep remembering, um, because as, as they've come on, I've been, I've, becomes kind of immune to it and you're to it, right? You get kind of used to being told you have cancer I'm like, oh, again. But the first time it's shocking, right? The first time you're like, oh my gosh, am I going to die? And so the first cancer actually um, was melanoma skin cancer. And um, it happened and I did everything by my kids, right? Like a standard mom. And so my daughter was um, three, was almost three. And my son was a baby. He was one. And um, we were at the swimming pool. It was July. And, um, my son was in that age where like, he just kind of like crapped out, you know, he was, I was holding him and then he just fell asleep on me. You know how babies do that. And, oh, those are the you best know, he was times. Like, oh, right. And, you know, he was just, you know, this was my last baby. I knew that there were not going to be any more. I was done. And, um, and so I let him have a nap on me. And so I'm kind of like cradling him and holding him in this awkward position. And I only say that because like more of my skin was exposed <laughs> and as I was kind of, you know, hunched in a weird you know, positions that he wouldn't slide off of me because they're kind of sweaty. And my mom was looking at my upper thigh saying, gosh, you know, you've got a mole that seems like an odd um, design. You, you really should go have a, a dermatologist look at that. And I thought, oh, yeah, right. Whatever. In my when schedule, do I, I don't have time yeah. for that. It's just a mole. We're fine. That was exactly my thought. Like, please. And my mom was such a nag. And she was, she would text me and she called me like for about a month. She really was aggressive about that mole. It was so fascinating. And of course, she gets like a total like check mark for Mm -hmm. um, Mother Knows Best because I finally, just to get her to shut up already, I made this 
stupid appointment with her dermatologist. And it turned out that um, it was melanoma. And it was just crazy. Like the, the dermatologist called me. I remember it was a Tuesday morning. I was driving into work. I got the call. And she said, no, I need you to understand. I know you're busy, but we're going to make a series of appointments for you. Um, it's because of the size of the mole. You need to have it removed immediately. It can't be done in in um, office. So you've got to go do a consultation with a surgeon. Whenever I make that appointment, you have to go. She was, she was like, I don't care if you have meetings. I don't care what, mm-hmm. like you need, you want. And it was, it was that message that was like, oh, dang, this is serious. And so then I got to the office and Googled um, the crap out of my diagnosis. And of course, then I started to really panic. And basically between Tuesday and Friday, I had multiple consultations. So Tuesday I was diagnosed, Friday I had surgery. Like it was that, that fast. And um, with melanoma, it's such a fast moving cancer. They just don't like to mess around. They just want to get that, that sucker out. Um, and so then that weekend, we had to wait until the biopsy came back. And really the question was whether or not it would have spread. Um, and if it spread, then my um, life expectancy would have been less than a year. And if it hadn't spread, no big deal, wear more sunscreen. <laughs> that was and for those of you who are, who are listening and not watching, Liz is, um, you can tell, and I'm just making a guess here, Western European descent. She yeah. is, is fair skinned and has red hair. So this is, uh, unfortunately, those of us who are fair and light colored skin and light eyes, you do have dark eyes, though, um, are more prone to this. Now, Liz, tell us why that you, um, why is melanoma, because I've had basal cell um, mm-hmm. skin cancer. Why is melanoma so dangerous? Well, it's fast moving. So I guess this, you know, I've learned so much about the different cancers through all of my myriad experiences. Um, and melanoma is really, really fast moving. So once you are diagnosed with melanoma, it's one of those cancers that replicates very, very quickly and spreads really easily. And there are some cancers, and we'll get into my second, that are really slow moving. And so when um, you have a fast moving cancer, um, like a melanoma, they want to get that out as soon as possible so that it can't get anywhere else. Because okay. when it's in your skin, it's really easy to cut out skin. You know, we, we can sew skin together. It doesn't, it's, it's more malleable. Um, but if it gets into your liver, if it gets into, you know, your, your other, your other organs, that then is really difficult because losing those pieces of organs becomes Devastating to your overall body. Now, other than surgery, did you have other treatment for it? I didn't. No, it's crazy. Yeah, they. I mean, it was just a a crazy process where they, you know, took, it looks like I had a shark bite on my leg, like I have a chunk of leg missing, but um, so it's a little deformed. You know, I made jokes about how my um, Sports Illustrated swimsuit model career was officially over, which trust me, (laughs) it was over before then. (laughs) But um but the, you know, it, it was, um, it was just to go from, you're either going to die or wear more hats, right? Those are just two very, very broad, like those are the choices, you know? And, um, but yeah, luckily it didn't spread. I got it early enough. They got it out fast enough. There were clean margins and they tell you to kind of get back on with your life, which I very much tried to do, you know, when you have two littles at home, a toddler and a baby, like there's just, they're little need machines, you know, they've, <laughs> constantly whether they need a snack or their butts wiped or baths or stories all of the things things, right all the stuff and so and and it's a wonderful distraction right and and it's in some ways easy to kind of get back to the normal 
swing of things when there is no follow-up, right? There is no radiation, there's no chemo, there was no um, medical oncology. It was just sunscreen. So, of course, I became obsessed with sunscreen and sun protection. Um, but other than that, no, it was that's well, it. Well, so you, you, you go through this. It's scary because they're like, well, you're either going to die or wear more hats. Obviously, you wore more hats. Yeah. And <laughs> life moved on. You're taking care of your, your kids, your career. So you're like, okay, I've had my cancer experience. But lo and behold, that was not the case. What, what, what came next? So then, yeah, so 11 months later. So at that point, I can't even get a year off. My gosh. No, it was 11 months. I remember um, to the day almost. And, um, you know, we'll get into this in the fourth cancer, but my mom had breast cancer when she was in her late 40s. And so I started doing my regular mammograms when I was in my mid 30s um, because recommendation was to start younger Mm -hmm. at the time. And so I had just gone in for um, my, I think it was my, one of my very first mammograms and it came back abnormal. And so they asked me to go to a surgeon and so to get a biopsy. And so I went to the surgeon to get that breast, um, that breast evaluated. And, you know, as anyone knows, when you're going to a breast surgeon, you're going topless and they fill you up and they're hands are all over your boobs. And then her hand started traveling up my neck. And she said, Oh, I see a lump in your neck. And I thought it was so weird, because I'm here to have this boob evaluated, not my neck. (laughs) And so they ended up getting a two for one. I had two biopsies that week. I had one for my breast, which at that point ended up being completely normal. It was just, or Uh abnormal cells, but it was nothing problematic. Um, But I had thyroid cancer. And I had no symptoms, none. It was, it was so bizarre. Um, I had, it wasn't like, you know, there are many things that happen to people that are, um, that have thyroid cancer, either in terms of, you know, their metabolism or their energy levels or their sleep and I, or their skin or their hair. And I had none of that. Um, so to be told that you're sick, right, when you don't feel sick is so weird. Um, but yeah, I, I had thyroid cancer. I did. And now thyroid cancer is very slow moving. And so um, they said, okay, well, we're going to have to remove your thyroid, but there's all these various tests that you're going to have to do ahead of time. And we want you to be um, in an office with an, um, with an endocrinologist. So let's schedule your surgery for the next two months. And I like, and it just doesn't track. Like how does that compute? Like melanoma, you're like, get in here tomorrow. And then this one, you're like, oh, sometime in the next couple months, it'll be okay. Right. Yeah. So that was very, very stressful to me at the time. Um, That was, I, I just felt like I had cancer and I wanted it out. Um, but really, in retrospect, it was a gift, right? Because I could plan, you know, so I knew, you know, I could get work projects set aside. I had childcare set aside. We were, I, you know, it was all arranged. And, and in retrospect now with a little distance, right, from that moment, it was so great to be able to organize my life around when a convenient time for surgery would be, right? So that was, um, that was good. Now, the downside of that surgery was that I ended up in this teeny, teeny, tiny, percentage of people that with uh, one of these weird, weird, it happens to 2% of patients side effects. Um, and it was, I became what's called hypoparathyroid as a result of my surgery, which means that my body doesn't process calcium like a normal human. Okay. And so um, you need calcium for muscle function and um, your heart is a muscle. So if you don't have enough calcium in your bloodstream, then your heart stops working and you die. Um, and so, um, we unfortunately learned that the hard way. I was released from the hospital, got home. Um, I was going into what's called hypoglycemic shock, but didn't know it. Um, eventually, like I couldn't feel my hands, I couldn't feel my lips. And so 
Uh, we called the surgeon. They said, get to the ER, and they had me on IV calcium. And I was in the hospital for almost, almost about two weeks. Oh, um, well, they tried to figure out how to regulate my calcium. Now, we did not plan for that. <laughs> no, that you can't <laughs> add that to your calendar. No, no. So that was really difficult. It's a not, because it's so rare, there's not like a really traditional go-to medical treatment. So there's a fair amount of trial and error involved in in endocrinology. And so it took about a year to kind of get me back to what I would call a, a good state of health. And that was tough. That was really hard. So after you got through that year, did you feel like life kind of went back to normal a little bit? It did. It did. I mean, I, I changed jobs. I went to go work in a nonprofit. I um, I started running. Um, I did a half marathon, right? Like I, I felt like I had gotten taken back control, right, of my uh-huh. life. I think you'll talk to a lot of patients and we'll talk about loss of control. And I do feel like I kind of retook that control after being so sick for so long. Um, so for sure. Okay. Well, we we do still have two more cancers to get through, but we are going to take a quick break, listeners. So stay with us. If you or a loved one need our services, please go to breastfriends.org and check out patient programs. If you'd like to donate to help Breast Friends do what they do, there's a big button on our website that says donate, or you can text BF Radio to 41444. Stay with us. We'll be back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444. Or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck 
at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Hello, I'm Michelle, and my guest is Liz, the CEO and president of The Balm Box, curated gifts for cancer patients and self-care. And she is talking about her four cancer journeys, why she is where she is today, and just how important self-care is and self-compassion and mindfulness and so many other things that we do talk about on a regular basis. But I think she has um, a little bit different angle on it since she's been through cancer four times. So that's why we're here with Liz today. So Liz, we talked about two of your cancers already. So you had, I believe it's about a five-year break where you were healthy, let's say, and then you had a new diagnosis of basal cell skin cancer. Is that correct? Yeah. That, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. So it was, um, I'm really good at getting cancer. (laughs) (laughs) We all have to have our skills and that's one of mine. Um, so yeah, so I had a a normal kind of couple of years. It sort of was in the back rearview mirror. I had started a new job. I'd moved on and kids were getting older. Life, you know, became more normal. And, um, then I was besties with my dermatologist who you get to strip down naked in front of every six months. And Uh they look at every square inch of your skin with this weird little magnifying glass thing. And it's a very humbling experience. Um, And uh, she found a little nudge on the side of my nose that she didn't like the look of. And we, um, turns out that it was basal cell skin cancer. So again, going back to fast moving, slow moving cancers, basal cells and, I don't remember exactly how it works, but something like the upper layers so that it's not as deep as like a melanoma such that it doesn't, like I think a basal cell, don't for sure doctors can correct me if this is wrong, but my understanding would be like something like a basal cell if left untreated could become a melanoma, but um, over time, but I was in good shape. And so again, this was a gift where they came back and said, well, it's basal cell, you need to have it removed. And the downside is it's just big enough that you're going to have to have again, a more significant surgery. And so I had to go to plastic surgeon to talk about what that might look like. And Right, because it's plastic, in the center of your face. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, they have to cover it up, right? So, like, the and so the downside was because, and again, you can't totally tell, the lighting is lovely in this little Zoom, but I actually have a lot of freckles. And so um, the, you can, for some folks, if you have, like, a really consistent skin tone and skin color, what they can do is they can take that little, nudge of skin off your nose and then replace it with like a a chunk of skin from the side of your neck. But um, if you're like me and you have freckles everywhere, um, you can't match that freckle pattern. It would just look like a weird patch on your face. And so then um, kind of the options become more limited. And so um, that became this question over what kind of surgery I would have to have in order to um, close up the gap, you know, to have skin Mm -hmm. that covered my entire nose. (laughs) And so the, um, the first surgeon said, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this procedure where we're going to start at the inner, the inside of your eye and then cut down kind of the line between your chin and nose all the way down to kind of your last lines in your face. And then that's going to give us the opportunity to stretch the skin to cover the nose. And then we'll sew that up. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to have a scar that goes from like the inside of my eye all the way down my face to my, to my chin. Mm-hmm. And he said, yep. Wouldn't you want to schedule your surgery? I'm like, I, um, like, oh. I don't actually. Like, gosh, that's, that's real. I mean, I don't mean to be vain, but gosh, I don't really want to walk around like a Scarface rest of my life. Like, I'm pretty young. Is this just, is there any other option? And he was just adamant that that was the best choice and that was what he did. 
Um, and I said, okay, well, you know, I'll get back to you. And so that was when I thought, well, this is slow moving and I have time. And so I reached out to friends and family, asked for referrals for local um, plastic surgeons, got a referral for a particular doctor that was quote unquote good with faces. Um, and um, I went to go see him and he had a really different procedure in mind. And that was one where he cut just along the inside of like the shadow of my nose. And then this was the part that was really bizarre is that he said, the issue is that there's just not quite enough skin to cover the gap. And so what we do is you leave the skin. You So they do this process where they cut the skin, they stretch it out, and then they leave you the skin unclosed. And you're just kind of with you walk around with a bandage sewn to your face for about a week. And then after that week, you come back and the skin will have relaxed enough that it will give them just enough pliability to close it up. But then your scar is really small and it's in the shadow of your face. And within a year, you really don't see it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, this sounds like a miserable seven days, but gosh, then you live around without, you know, you can yeah, live without being a much better overall option. For sure. And so um, I went down that path. And again, so lucky that my insurance covered it. I mean, certainly much more expensive than the other procedure, right? Because it's two surgeries instead of one. Um, it's miserable to go through. Um, I don't recommend walking around with a bandage stone to your face. That was uncomfortable. And I didn't sleep well. It was hard to bathe, right? But all of that was... So, like, again, my attitude in that whole process was like, hey, this is what I'm doing to preserve my face. It's 100% worth it, right? This Mm -hmm. is what, um, and so this is, knowing that I chose that and that that the trade-off was living without a scar was so much more, like, that just attitudinally made it infinitely easier, right, to manage Mm -hmm. than if um, it was something that I was forced to do or didn't have a choice in or didn't participate in that kind of process. Um, so again, like all those things kind of go into the back of your head as you start learning, okay, well, gosh, being able to plan when to do this is a gift, right? I realized that kind of post thyroidectomy. Um, and so, um, this time around, I had to plan it around my son's birthday party, you know, but it was great. <laughs> so I knew, like, I wanted to get his birthday party in a little earlier so I could get this done and was in terms of like when it would be convenient for me in terms of work and process, right? All this stuff. So I picked my surgery timeline. I did the thing that sucked, but again, was like infinitely better long-term prospects. Um, and long-term story short, it all, it all worked out. Um, and I, you really can't tell like I, between the way that the, um, the scar is healed and just a little bit of topical makeup and really you, d- you don't see it. That's um, amazing. And it's yeah. not about vanity. It's just about, it's your sense of well-being because your face is the first thing that someone sees. Absolutely. I didn't want my mm -hmm. life to be, gosh, what happened to your face or have people wonder or having to point it out or talk about it all the time. Like, it's just not, I I think that, yeah, it's about trying to reconcile, you know, how I present myself to the world and and not trying to broadcast all of my different scars. And, you know, I don't know. It was, I I don't, I'm not apologetic over it, right? I, I feel very confident and I'm grateful. Again, I think, you know, the insurance agreed that it was worth doing it despite the incremental cost. So I think that, yeah, there were a lot of benefits to that. And you really just gave the prime example of being your own advocate, which yeah. is not easy to do, but you 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 found a second opinion and you found something that worked better for you. And that's that's what advocacy is all about for yourself. And it's so important. So you get through this and you're like, yeah. I've been through three now. I'm good. I've had so many surgeries, but no. What the hell? Like, when is enough enough? I know. Because next you were diagnosed with breast cancer. Cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can laugh about yeah. it now, but at the time, I'm I'm sure there was very little laughter. 
what how did you find that was it on you were still doing the regular mammogram regular mammogram yes okay. and a regular mammogram caught it um got a biopsy turns out you know they didn't like the look of that had a you know and then it was diagnosed as breast cancer the but this time around instead of if you go back to that first melanoma and i was in panic this was more of a this is going to suck but it's going to be fine. I didn't ever wonder if I was going to die, right? Like it was, it was staged really low. It was, I could get away with a lumpectomy and not a mastectomy. Um, there, I had multiple, I had, you know, I had lots and lots of treatment options. Um, I evaluated all of them. I took my time. So I took time to decide what I wanted to do. And I am like an information Person. I like data to back up decisions. And so even if I go back to that original um, thyroidectomy, one of the standard processes after thyroidectomy is to do um, something called radio, radioactive iodine treatment, where you swallow iodine um, and you personally become radioactive for some period of time while the iodine, and I have this like visual in my head where it's like a Pac-Man that goes, wee, 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 and it eats up all the like the, the errant thyroid um, cells in your body. And I, um, at the time, it was really, really controversial, but I chose not to do that. I didn't like the idea of me being radioactive around my small children. Uh-huh. Um, and also, again, that one hat, that my odds of recurrence on the thyroidectomy, post thyroidectomy was about 2%. And the odds of um, complications from the, um, from the, um, the, th- the radioactive thyroid treatment were about 5%. And I thought, you know what? I can live with 2% recurrence. I'm good. Like, I'm not going to, after, you know, you told me that it was completely rare to have this, you know, hypocalcemia, which I have to live with the rest of my life. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm not doing anything more. Um, and now 10 years later, it's actually become even more common for people to reject it for the same reasons I did, which is it's not necessary. Why do I have to put myself through some incremental thing? Um, it's miserable just, you know, to go from a 2% odds of recurrence to a quarter of a percent odds of recurrence, 2% low, I'm good. So that's how I focused on breast cancer. I said, okay, well, what are your recommended treatments and what are my odds of recurrence based on all the different combinations of treatments? And, um, and what are the odds of side effects as a result of all these different treatments? And so it's like a Jenga game, right, where you're kind of putting together all the different combinations and I had to come up with subjectively what I could live with. And so I chose um, a very, I chose lumpectomy and I chose a, a lumpectomy, which was a very, um, like a less aggressive um, okay. surgical treatment. Um, and I chose a very aggressive um, course of radio, radiation treatment, which brought my odds of recurrence down to about 15%. I did not have to do chemo. Um, uh-huh. so grateful for that. And, um, I did a lot of number crunching on whether or not to do, um, hormone treatment and I chose not to. Uh-huh. And it was a very, still is controversial decision. Um, my odds of recurrence without it were about 15 to 20% and odds of recurrence with it were like eight to 10. And I decided based on all of my experiences and how my body seems to get every single stupid side effect known to man, I didn't want to go there. I was good. 
Um, and here I am five years later, having not done it. And now my odds of recurrence are the same as the general population. Yeah, and five five years is a big mark to get through. So congratulations. And it is very controversial to say no to the endocrine therapy. I And I did mine for, I did four years of tamoxifen. And then after my second time, I did five years of the aromatase inhibitors. And they sucked for me. And yeah. I finally was able to finish up after five years and I'm like a whole new person because it's, it's hard for many people it, and it was hard for me. I, it was hard and, and, I, and I, I don't doubt that. And I've had, you know, again, so this is where I spent a lot of time talking to different doctors. And I think there's this um, perception that we, I certainly had before all of my cancer treatments that doctors are all knowing and that there's a very standard and prescribed treatment plan for whatever ailment you have. And I, you know, eight years through it all, and I've learned that there's a fair amount of art uh, that goes in with the science and that there are choices and that there is, there are still some elements that really are subjective. Um, and that, and so I'm such an advocate for patients taking a more active role in deciding on their treatment plans and not just, you know, dictate, you know, not just looking to their doctors to tell them what it is. Um, now, again, there's some people that maybe find comfort in that. And if that's your um, character, then that's awesome. Good for you. But that wasn't good for me. I needed to be, and I learned right through this whole process that there is a lot of benefit to being a more active participant in choosing what your treatments are. Everything from, you know, that really difficult two-part surgery to, you know, on my nose to choosing not to do the endocrine um, hormone therapy. What I did instead, um, and this was in negotiation with my with my different doctors, was if I wasn't going to do the hormone treatment, then I would do um, added mammograms and um, MRIs. You're and, like, I can do that, no problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. an annual MRI done, right? No big deal. You know, that's that's easy peasy. Um, getting insurance to pay for it, not so easy. <laughs> but again, like, and this is where I, you know, I don't want to like, you know, flaunt my privilege, but I was, you know, we're able to kind of swing that. So um, those are choices that I made. They are right for me. By no means would I, do I, you know, you have to, every patient has to do what's right for them. But what I'm trying to say is that every patient really should make a conscious choice, right, about what they're wanting to do and what they're willing to do and understanding that there's very few treatments out there that aren't painful. <laughs> you know, they all, they all suck. I mean, yeah, it's cancer. There, There is pain. It's, yeah. it's not not like, oh, this is wonderful. But no, it's still cancer. Yeah. Um we're going to take another break here in a minute, but you had eight years of stress and unknowns balancing your career and your family. How were your emotions during this and what got you through? I mean, I, I think that, um, I, you know, what got me through is gratitude. Um, I think we, we might've talked about this a little bit before. My grandmother is a Holocaust survivor um, my mom was born in Poland and they immigrated to the United States when she was nine. Um, my grandmother always was so grateful for her second life. Before the Holocaust, she was married and had a son and they were all killed in the camp. She was looked like me, very Aryan. Um, and she was hidden and met my grandfather in hiding and they got married after the war after she learned that her um, son and, and husband died. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's just a gruesome, gruesome story. And yet, so here's this woman who could be so just miserable, angry at the world, you know, feeling like the world owed her something. And instead, 
she was just grateful. She was so grateful for her second life and she was so joyous. Um, and my grandfather was kind of bitter. Um, it was really interesting to kind of see these two different paths. And so to me, like all the trauma that I go through, A, nothing compares to the Holocaust, right? Like you just can't compare that. And so there's a little bit of like, okay, well, at least I'm not hiding in a barn in the Polish countryside for four years eating potatoes. And um, so there's that. And then from there, just again, my grandmother was joyous. She was grateful for life. And so I think I I try to, I think about that all the time. That is, that's a beautiful answer. And if you, if, if you break it down, we should all be more grateful for every day because no day is promised and you never know what is going to happen. For sure. So we are going to take that break. Listeners, please stay with us. If you'd like to reach out and contact me, I am at Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. I'm Michelle. My guest is Liz, the CEO and president of The Bomb Box. Now, Liz, we've talked about all of your cancers a lot, which more than most should ever have to experience, but you've come through and you have found joy and gratitude in your life still in so many ways. And one of the things you did was found the bomb box. Can you tell us about the how and the why and what you're hoping to do for others from it? Yes. 
Yes, I'm very, very proud of it. Uh, so going back to in 2017, I was going through radiation treatment for breast cancer. I was very young, very healthy. Everyone told me it would be no big deal. I scheduled all my treatments for 7.45 in the morning so that I could just knock them out and get into the office. And um, I was just not prepared for how <laughs> sick I was going to be. Right. It's so funny, right? Radiation yeah. is exhausting. It was. It and, literally and sucks only, the life out of you. It does. I was, I, I was miserable. I was exhausted. I was cranky. Um, I, and I also, given my very pale skin, I burned to a crisp. I was, and I was miserable. Um, and so I was constantly looking for all of this stuff, right? I needed things like, you know, I was at the office and I was working, you know, with a lot of dudes and I wanted like ice packs that I could throw into my shirts that wouldn't leak through and cause wet spots because that anything that, you know, whatever those dudes just anything that drew attention to my chest was that and then um and I couldn't you know I wearing a bra was uncomfortable and I just needed all of I needed a, a bra that I that would at least hold the girls up but not be underwire not you know press on all of the scars and I needed ice packs I needed so much lotion and I needed all this stuff and what I was getting from friends and family it was so well-meaning, right? I got a lot of pink t-shirts and coffee mugs and kicking cancer, tote bags and all of these things that are so well-meaning. But really, like in the moment, I didn't want that. I wanted like an aluminum-free deodorant that didn't actually cause sweat stains, right? Like I just wanted those functional things. And I was getting a lot of what I would call inspirational items. Uh-huh. And um, and that was really the seed. That At that time, I thought, where is radiationrelief.com? Like I need that website stat didn't exist. So I bought the URL at the time and I didn't do anything with it. Um, and so over the course of the, a couple of years, I started really playing around with what would a business model look like? What could this be? And it really wasn't until the pandemic hit, right, in spring of 2020, where everyone all of a sudden from, you know, I go from being this like full time working executive with all the, you know, the non for profit things that I do and things, my kids schedules and everything to all of a sudden, all, everything's canceled and I have this time. And it was, again, it was a gift. It was awesome. And so I actually sat down and I actually built out what would this business plan look like? I wrote a business plan and I wrote a survey. And I, in the survey, it started, it went down two paths. So one path was we asked cancer patients, we asked people, have you ever had cancer? Right. And that went down one path. And it have you ever gifted a cancer patient? And that went down another path. And so the cancer patients, we asked all sorts of questions about, you know, what were some of the treatments that they went through and what tools did they like? And then we had a list of 50 items that they had to rate on a scale of one to five, one being terrible, don't give me any of this, and five being that would be awesome. I would want it every every day. And um, these 50 different items. And then we asked cancer gifters, you know, what would you buy? And it was amazing how many people had the same experience I did and had the same point of view. So when you ask people to rate these, you know, cancer patients to rate various items, they rated things like lip balm and lotion and ice packs and fleece blankets as like five all across the board. Like those are super high scoring items and things like kicking cancer tote bags and coffee mugs and worry stones and inspirational poetry were the worst performers. They got ones across the board. And then you ask people, what are you buying? And it's mostly food flowers and, and kicking cancer stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and I because thought, people wow. don't know. They, no. You know, and they're and well, it's well-meaning. Meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there was this huge disconnect, right, between, like, what patients want and need and what people are buying. And I thought, wow, there's a business model, right? And so that 
um, got me off my butt and I finished the business plan and I had this changed my life for, for better, for worse. Right. And, and decided to go rogue entrepreneur. And again, I'm so, so, so lucky that my kids and my family, especially my husband, you know, we went from two pretty comparable (laughs) earners Mm -hmm. uh, to allowing me to go. I teach part-time right at the university of Kansas. And then the other part-time I, I run bomb box, actually full-time really, um, I run Bombbox, and he, you know, that cut my income in more yeah. than half. But the um, he's been so supportive, and so all of that um, changed. We used the pandemic as kind of the launching pad, and um, launched in fall of 2020. And so, based on all of those um, that survey feedback, and by the way, I should mention the survey I just sent to friends and family and posted to my own personal social media. But it was the pandemic, and people were at home and bored and online. And it went viral. And so mm-hmm. here's the survey that takes like almost half an hour to complete. And I got over 600 responses. That's and amazing just, because if yeah. I have a survey over five minutes, I just stop and move on. <laughs> right. Most people do. I'm just telling you, it was like this moment in time where I could capture it. It was something to do. And people did it. It was incredible. And I just got the most incredible feedback. I don't think if I tried that today, it would work. Right. Like it was just it was just very, very lucky. Um, and so I was able to do it for free too, which was also very, very lucky. And so, um, got all of that feedback and then used that to curate, um, the gift boxes on, um, Bombbox. And so the product line has gone through probably two significant revisions. The first round, we focused on a combination of gifts and self care. Um, it's kind of two different paths. Um, I will tell you in the first year, we saw that well over 80% of, um, boxes purchased were gifts. Um, where 20% are purchased as self-care. So really started to focus the business as more of a gift store as compared to self. It doesn't mean you can't buy them for yourself. I love it when people buy them for themselves. I think they more should. Um, but certainly in terms of, you know, where we are today, it's, it's definitely more gifts. And um, we've curated gifts based on kind of where you are in your treatment plan. So um, looking at whether you are going through chemo or radiation or surgery um, or you're in recovery, and kind of looking at what are the different combinations of items that rank well with gift, uh, with cancer patients, right? So again, I always go back to that research. I try really hard not to rely on my own subjectivity um, in terms of things I would like. Um, it's hard, right? Because I do have an opinion, um, but you really have to look at what is what do cancer patients themselves say would be useful, and then um, and then um, putting all those things together in kind of different combinations. So that um, depending on what your budget is, your price model is, there's kind of different choices. That's so amazing. That's and yeah. so obviously you've been around for two years now. Um, yeah. What is your, I, I know you said like lotion and lip balm are like the most successful, like off the top of your head, like what's your most um, purchased item on the your site? Best seller, like two best sellers. I couldn't think of that right word, the bestseller. Thank you. (laughs) The number one bestseller is our mastectomy package. And it's such a great package. It's such a good value. Um, There, I went through a process where I was looking, you know, again, the things that people rated as really useful were pillows or like specialty pillows. And so um, when I was going through radiation treatment, um, our surgeon's office, they have like these, I think it's like nuns that donate these really charming little pillows and they look kind of like T-bones. And they um, just kind of like fit their little, their wedges that fit in between yourself and the seatbelt. Mm-hmm. And it kept the seatbelt from, um, from rubbing, rubbing against your, your upper body, which is so painful. 
And I had friends say, oh, I wish I would have had that when I was going through chemo because it always hurt my port. And I thought, oh, well, that's really interesting. So it's it's the same concept where basically you don't realize that a seatbelt is just going to be such a challenge. And so we have these fabulous seatbelt pillows. And so then I kind of improved on that design um, and then found a manufacturer out in Virginia that does soft goods manufacturing. And so they make these pillows just for us. So there are pillows, um, these little seatbelt pillows. And then also the side pillows. Now, I loved having, I didn't have a mastectomy, but even during radiation, I was constantly looking for a pillow that I could put underneath my arm that would separate the weight of my arm from my chest. Yes, because so you, don't, you have, don't want those to touch. It's yeah. been five years since my last surgery, and I still sleep with an underarm pillow under one of my arms. Do you really? Yeah, I it look, really it's like a long. heart-shaped pillow because yeah. I've gotten so used to it. Yeah, that it just is more comfortable. I travel with it. I take it everywhere with me. And my, my husband just laughs at me. He's like, and he he thinks it looks like a boomerang. So he throws it around the bedroom. <laughs> it does. It, yeah. I mean, and so we have a slightly different variation. It, it's more, I call it a C-shaped pillow um, because it creates a little bit more of a cushion. So it's, you, it's probably better to use when you're sitting up so that it has like a cushion on your back um, with a kind of a more skinny arm in the front. Um, but yeah, that pillow, that C-shaped pillow um is also, again, something that um, started by kind of, you know, sourcing from other suppliers and then realized that we can improve upon the design and ended up doing that and um, manufacture them ourselves out of this company out in Virginia. So um, we, that combination package, that mastectomy care package, you can do for a single or double, include either one or two, right, of the underarm pillows, the seatbelt pillow, and the sweat-free ice pack. And that is just such a great gift. And I get such good feedback on that one, which is, just so great. It's so great to get. Um, the very that. best feedback I got on that was a, um, and a buyer sent me a note saying, I sent this to my mom who's having a mastectomy and she wrote back, I feel seen. And I was oh. like, oh. winning, <laughs> so winning. Was, I felt so good. I felt so good. I feel seen. That was the best feedback I've ever gotten. And I get lots and lots of feedback, but I love that, that particular phrasing. Oh, um, and then the second one is, the um, chemo care package, which is um, really, it's just so simple. It's a big fleece blanket because, you know, you're so uncomfortable when you're sitting there in chemo, um, cozy socks and some ginger mint and a water bottle. So again, useful, but feel very gifty, right? And that mm-hmm. um, is our, and then there are different things that you can add to it to kind of zhuzh it up and make it bigger, but um, really focusing on nausea and um, cold as the top two um, complaints when it comes to chemo. So those are really the number one and number two selling products that we have on the, on the site. And listeners, you can find all of this at thebombbox.com. Um, I just didn't want to forget that. And we'll talk about yeah. it at the end as well. But so your website also has self-care items. What did you do for self-care when you were going through all of your treatments? You know, the best thing I could do for myself when I was going through treatments is I gave myself a break. I, I was so... Um, used to being in charge and um, the organizer of all the things. And I had to step back and lean on others to do that for me. And that was really, really, as a, as a probably borderline control freak, that was a really hard. That was very, very hard for me. But, you know, my husband had to be in charge of carpool and play dates and the organizing and, um, and I needed to rest. So, and I completely that was, understand that yeah. coming from a fellow control freak. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the delegation. I delegated and, and you know what? The world continued to turn on its axis, which was a great lesson in and of itself, right? 
That's a really hard one for me. I'm still dealing with that, but one day I'll get through Aren't it. Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> um, so going through your experiences and now with the bomb box, what are some things to say that you you may know that are good to say to someone who's been diagnosed and what should you never say to someone who's going through treatment? So funny. You and I had this conversation on that other podcast mm-hmm. too. Okay. So my, I'm going to start with what not to say, right? So I am a big, big believer that you should never say, what can I do? It just puts the patient in such a weird position. Who knows how, I don't know how to ask for help. Like some people are great at asking for help and I'm deeply jealous of them, but I think that they're the minority. I think the majority of us don't know how to ask for help and don't know what to say because the, the knee jerk reactions, oh, nothing, I've got it. And so asking, how can I help is just, I don't, it's, there's, it's very, very hard. Either I don't know what you're willing to do. I don't know how much time or money you want to spend. I don't really know whether you're genuine or not. Don't put me as a patient in the position of having to figure that out because that's just a whole other mind trick that I don't want to mess with. So don't say that. But what you can say is, I would love to help. I'd like to, here are some ideas I have. A, B, or C. I can order, I can organize a meal train. I can drive you to chemo. I can take your kids to soccer practice. I, you know, whatever it is, just putting out their ideas and then that gets the conversation started to me is infinitely more valuable than how can I help. Perfect. Thank you. Um, and I did have a guest on earlier this year. Her name is Paula Seafair, and she's the co-founder of an app called the My Care Crew app. And it allows the patient to literally create an app and then send it has like kind of caring bridge. You send out all their info on it and they can put requests on there and people can Perfect. just go on and click on the request and click on the meals. And so definitely check that out. And but yes, what what can I do? I don't know. I'm fucking having cancer. Leave me alone. Excuse yeah, excuse right? my French, but that's it. Yeah, so yeah. we are almost out of time, Liz. So tell our listeners all the places they can find you and Bombbox. Yeah, uh, we're on all the socials. So you can start with the bombbox.com. That's T-H-E-B-A-L-M-B-O-X.com. And we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And um, you can find me pretty much all those places. So we'd love to see you. And of course, you know, the number one thing to do when you hear someone has cancer is, of course, buy them a gift from the bombbox. But um <laughs> that's where I send people to uh, yeah. all the time now because I'm like, well, I didn't go through chemo, so I don't have those experiences, but I use this, this, and this, and you can find them all in these baskets. And I don't know about you, but I don't have time to go out and find everything. So that's the one step shopping for yes. gifts for cancer patients. Yes. Perfect. Liz, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. It's been a fun conversation. Yes, it has been so fun. So listeners, again, you can find all this information at thebombbox.com, Facebook, The Bombbox, Instagram, Bombbox IG, and all the places. Look for Liz and um, send out those gifts to people who need them because even though you don't think they might need anything, they always do. Um, if you or a loved one need our services, please go to breastfriends.org and check out patient programs. You can find the podcast on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel wherever you get your podcasts, and you can watch on the Breast Friends YouTube channel. If you need to reach out, I'm at Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org, and we will be back next week. Until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.